Good morning, saints. Thank you. Thank you. It's Tuesday, actually, but thank you. So, yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Lynn putting it in the... <laughs> in the what's that? So, so I have to... I, I've been wanting to tell everybody, I, I, I got a funny story. And it, I think it's funny, so if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to tell it anyways. So when, uh, a couple of Sundays ago, I think it was a couple of Sundays ago, I, was like, I got up really early in the morning, and my back was hurting. So I got in the shower and took a shower and got out of the shower and crawled back into bed and turned on my light, and I started to read my sermon. You know, I, I always kind of go over my sermon a couple of times before this, and I got about halfway through the first page, and I fell asleep. And I mean, and I fell asleep. And so the, the, the story goes is I'm, I'm really thankful that none of you fall asleep during my sermon because my sermon puts me to sleep. <laughs> so, so thank you for not falling asleep in my sermon. So, so. And, uh, and I did, ladies, I did uh, pray for uh, God to forgive Jenny for speeding on her way home. So we are good. So. So let's go ahead uh, and pray, and then we'll we'll go ahead and dig in and see what the Lord has for uh, Chad today. So, Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us and your grace that flows from your throne abundantly, Lord, that we could never outlast your grace or overuse it, Lord, it is full for us every day, every hour, every minute, and every second. Lord, may we be so thankful for that. Lord, before we dig into your word, Father, I just want to lift people up in prayer today, Lord. I want to lift those up in prayer, Father, whose bodies are aching and whose body, they're, they're hurting, Father, and just ask that you would miraculously, Father, touch their bodies and heal them. But Father, if you don't, I pray that you would pour out your grace and your strength on them, Father, that they would see that what you have for them is good, Lord, and it is conforming them to the image of your Son. Father, I also want to pray for those, Father, who aren't feeling well, whose, Lord, they're of coughs, Lord. I, I think of Christy as Carlos isn't here today, Lord, and just to lift her up as she's uh, gotten worse, Lord, that you would again just touch her, Father, and heal her, and Deanna, Lord, also. And Father, I just want to lift all of our kids up, Lord, in prayer. Father, our kids that aren't following you, Lord, I pray that you would just draw them to you with your cords of loving kindness. I pray that we would be parents and grandparents, Lord, who are faithful, Father, to show the gospel to our, our children, Lord. Father, that we would rest in the fact that we know that you know exactly where they are and you know their hearts. So, Father, we lift all of our kids up to you. And, Father, for those that are just in this little body, Lord, that are just in trials, that every day is a trial, Father, whether it be from work or from family, Lord, that you would strengthen them in your might, that you would encourage them as they read their word to know that you are their children. 
Father, that you would just wrap your arms around them and comfort them with only the comfort, Father, that you can comfort with. So, Lord, we lift these prayer requests up to you as they are heavy upon my heart, Lord. And I now I pray for your word, Lord, that we would receive it fully, that your spirit would come and encourage us, Lord, with it. In your name, I ask all these things. Amen. So what we've been going through in the last few verses is elders in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, if you're not there. We've been dealing with elders, and now what we will do is we will get into deacons today. We'll get into the deacons today and the requirements for a deacon. But what I want to say first is that I don't want us to get caught up in thinking that we have all these requirements, and these requirements, like I said before, brothers and sisters, are for us. These are, these are things we should strive for. We should strive to be sober-minded and self-controlled, and we should strive to be not addicted to, to wine or, or money. These are things that we all should be. But I don't want us to think that these are things that we have to be striving after for God to be pleasing to for us to be more pleasing to God. No, these are things we should be striving after because the gospel has got a hold of our hearts. And this is what we want to do because we already are pleasing to God. This is the life we should want to cultivate because we are, we are pleasing to God. So I don't want us to come across this as a, a legalistic means that I got to do, 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 do to be accepted. No, I want us to understand that we are forgiven in the gospel. We are accepted in the gospel. Christ has already done all the work for us. And that should be what drives us to live this type of life. So I don't want us to get caught up in the do-do-do's. It's not about the do-do-do's. So I want us to look at this first section that I want to look at really quick is that with any kind of leadership that we look at, whether it's leadership within the church or it's leadership at home or it's mothers with their children, what God is after, God is after the heart, That's what God is after. He's after the heart. He wants people, he's going to choose people to serve within his body, within his church, whose hearts are his. That's where he's going to go. Listen to what the Bible says. Uh, This says about Abraham in Nehemiah 9.8. I didn't give you these, so we're good. It says, you found his heart, you found his heart faithful before you. And made with him a covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. So we see that Abraham's heart was faithful before the Lord. His heart was faithful before the Lord. He tells Samuel when he's looking to replace King Saul, this is what God says to Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. So when we read the story of King Saul, that's how we, King Saul was this very handsome dude, right? He was this handsome guy, and he was tall and he stood out. But God says, Don't look upon his appearance or his statue, for I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God knows the heart. And so he says this about David. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So God, so David is a man after God's own heart. So what does that mean to have a, have a heart that's after God's own heart? Well, brothers and sisters, it's we love the things that God loves. And we hate the things that God hates. This is what having a heart after God's own heart is about. Paul speaks of his heart and his convictions in 1 Thessalonians 2.10. He says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So his heart reflected his life. Right? Jesus is adamant within the Gospels where he says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so God is after our hearts. He is after our hearts. And this is what marks our service, is a heart that is, gra- that is gripped by the gospel. And this is the heart of a deacon's service, is a heart that is gripped by the gospel. He is essentially a table waiter. That is what a deacon is. He is one who serves. He is one who ministers and cares for the, God, for the people of God. He has to be gripped by the gospel in such a way that he lives this out in his life and he's gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ and he has a desire to care for the flock. This is what the deacon's heart is gripped by. And it's not only what the deacon's heart should be gripped by, but it should be what the elder's heart is gripped by and what just non-church leadership should be gripped by. All of our hearts should be gripped by the gospel so that we serve each other. Every single one of us as a believer is a deacon. Maybe not in office, but in service. So, and we see this. Jesus is the example <clears throat> of a deacon, right? Jesus is an example of a deacon. Listen to Mark ten forty three through 45. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served. Or not to, but I lost my. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's our words. These words serve. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. This should be our attitude as believers that we are here to serve each other, not to be served. We're to think of each other more importantly, right? So it also says in Luke twenty two twenty seven, for who is the greater, the one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. So when we serve each other, we put Christ on display. Deacons within the church, 
when they serve the body, when they care for the body, they put Christ on display in the church. The apostles put Christ on display in their lives as they did. 1 Corinthians 4.1 This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Colossians 1.25 Of which I became a minister, there's our word, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And to Timothy he says this, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So we see that the apostles... And even Timothy, they were examples of what a deacon is as they served and they ministered to the people of God. The Lord's followers are to be humble servants. That is what it is. So now, what about the office of deacon? The office of deacon, this word deacon is only used in one other spot, and that's Philippians 1.1, where Paul in his introduction says to the elders and the deacons at the church of Philippi. So he's addressing the office. And that's what we're looking at now. We're addressing the office. But I wanted to bring that in, that we are all deacons in a sense, because we serve each other. We serve each other. But what about the office that Paul is going to talk about? So look at 1 Timothy 3. Starting in verse 8, it says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith and with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their home well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, much like the elder, except we see the absence of able to teach. Although, deacons, just because it doesn't say that they have to be able to teach, they still should be a student of the Word of God. Just like we all should be. We should all be students of the word of God. We should be like the Bereans. We should always be digging into the word of God, making sure what we listen to and what we hear is right and and correct. We should always be doing that. So, first of all, the deacon is to be dignified. He is to be dignified. He is to be honest. He is to be grave. We don't use that word, but he is to be grave. He is to be one who is serious. The deacon is not to be one who is a jokester. He is not always joking about things, not joking about the people, not bringing the people down. But he is one who is serious when serious matters comes. He's got a quiet demeanor about himself. This is what this word dignified means. He is one who is not cold, though. He has joy. He has happiness. He is gripped by the gospel. He is dignified in every way. And secondly, he's not double-tongued. He's not double-tongued. He doesn't say one story to one person and another story and the same story, but in a different way to somebody else. He's not hypocritical in his speech. He's a very truthful person. 
This is who a deacon is. He is faithful. That is why he is credible. And he is credible because he is truthful. He's not double-tongued in any way. Listen to what the double-tongued man is. Psalms 5.9 puts it this way. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. And again in Psalms 12 too, everyone utters lies to his neighbors while flattering lips and doubled hearts they speak. We see that a double-tongued man has no truth in him. He's a liar. He is a liar. He has no truth. He has flattering lips. He has a doubled heart. This is not to be the deacon. The deacon is to speak truth and he's to not flatter, but he's to speak truth in love. He's not to have flattering lips and a doubled heart. He's not to be one person here at church on Sunday and another person during the week. This is what he's not to be. Listen to James 3.10, brothers and sisters. This is for you and I. As James is talking to a church, he says this, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Every one of us in this room is guilty of this. From the same mouth, we will come on Sundays and we will sing praises to God, right? We will lift him up for his glory and everything he's done. And then the minute we walk out that door, we'll be cussing the person out on the freeway that just cut us off. It's that quick. And James, in the word of God, says it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Brothers and sisters, we have to be cautious that we are not double-tongued And the deacons in the church must be extra careful that they are not double-tongued in the church, in their office. They are not addicted to much wine, just like the elder. We saw that last week. He is not to be known for his drinking. He is not to be a drunk. This word addicted is one who... um, turns one's mind to or to occupy oneself with. We all get the word addiction. We all know the word addiction. There might be some of us in here that are dealing with addictions, that we have addictions in our life, and they can range from all over the gamut, from, from alcohol to, to drugs to pornography to video games, but it's whatever it is that takes our mind away from God that that. The deacon is not to be addicted. He is not to be drunk with wine, with alcohol, or any other thing in his life. This does not say that he can be addicted to other things. No, it means there is no addictions within his life that control his mind, that take him away from the service of God. His example is Christ. Christ was tunnel-visioned. When he was going to the cross and his mind was set towards Jerusalem, he was tunnel visioned. He knew what he had to do. There was nothing that was going to take him away from there. He didn't have any type of addiction that got him off to the side. No, he knew what he had to do. He was clear-minded. You see, those addictions, they cloud our view. They cloud our minds. This is not to be the deacon or the elder or of us believers. 
We're not to be addicted to much wine. Also, he is not to be greedy for dishonest gain. He is not to be drunk with money. He's not to be after, I love this. The, the, the Greek literally says filthy lucre is what it says. And it just means gaining money by dishonest practices. He is not to use his office for his own financial gain. And this was crucial in history. I was sharing with Jenny this morning. This is crucial because in the first church, when the, in the, when the churches were first formed, the deacons were the one who took care of the financial situations. They were the ones that distributed the money to the orphans and to the widows and to those who were in need. This was part of their office. This was part of what God had called them to do. So it couldn't have been a man who was after money. Because he had the money. So we had to be sure, they had to be sure that this is not what what, what drove him. And likewise, we have to be the same. We have to be sure that deacons within the church, within here at Little Faith Bible, we have to be sure they're not driven by money or financial gain. They can't be addicted to that. Matthew 6, 24, we saw these verses last week. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The saying that Oz Guinness said last week, if a man is drunk on wine, you'll throw him out. But if he is drunk on money, you'll make him a deacon. That is a staggering quote. A staggering quote. And then in Timothy, Paul tells Timothy how to deal with these rich, with the ones who desire for this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Brothers and sisters, we have to be sure that when we are bringing somebody up as an elder and we are venting this person, that they are not driven by money, but that they are driven by the love of Christ to serve the people of Christ. That needs to be their desire, their heart's desire. They must hold to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. They must not have a seared conscience. Their conscience must be clear. They must be one who does not sin against their conscience. They have to be a person that has a strong conviction about the mystery of the faith. They have a strong conviction of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have to be solid on what the gospel is. This is the requirement. What is that? Ephesians 6.19. Paul writes this, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He's talking about Christ crucified for sinners. Ephesians 3, 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. The God-man who redeems. The God-man who broke down the dividing wall. Who made two into one man. This is the mystery. It's the gospel. Colossians 4, 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am a prisoner. The deacon must be one who is solid in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He is not one who just believes the truth of the gospel, but he is one who lives the truth of the gospel. That's us too, brothers and sisters. Just not the deacon. We are not to only believe the truth of the gospel, but we are to live the truth of the gospel. For a world that is dying, oh, how attractive would that be if we really lived out the truth of the gospel? It would be amazing. I'm not saying that I do it because I, I, because I don't. I, I, I know that I don't. Uh, he's tested. This word tested means to approve after testing. This is, this is an ongoing test. This is not like a written test. This is not something that you come up with and put before a guy and say, okay, take this test if you pass your deacon. And it's not a probationary period. It's an ongoing life that his life is always under evaluation. It's the same for the elders. Our lives need to always be under evaluation. You as the congregation should be continually evaluating my life, Dick's life, Martin's life, Chad's life. You should always be evaluating our lives. You should be in our lives like we are in your life. You cannot evaluate my life if you never ask me tough questions. You have to ask me tough questions so you can evaluate my life. You have to ask me how my marriage is, how my work is, how my reading is, how my praying is. How are you to know how to pray for your leaders if you don't ask them where they're at and what they battle with or what they wrestle with? Oftentimes I use the word struggle, but I'm trying to get rid of that word because there's a lot of times I don't struggle. I just don't do it. And so see, struggle covers that up. Oh, you know, it's a little more religious. Oh, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling to read this week. No, I'm just not reading. Let's just be honest. That's it. Then we know how to effectively pray for each other. We know how to effectively pray for each other. But this is an ongoing testing. Us elders, as we, as we look at potential deacons, as we look at Chad, we need to be the ones that are evaluating Chad's life. What's going on in Chad's life? Are we in Chad's life? Are we asking, and I'm just picking on Chad because he's the deacon, are we asking him the tough questions? Are we doing this? Brothers and sisters, elders and deacons alike are to continually be evaluated by the church. Now, I want us to look at the Bible. Look at your Bible because this is where we get into the next requirement which there's some... There's some discussion here. Verse 11 says, Let their wives likewise be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Okay, so when we get to this section, it's a little bit different, right? Because scholars have different views on this. Some scholars believe that this is talking about the deacon's wife. Some scholars believe that this is talking about deaconesses, that there's deaconesses in the church. I am going to teach this as the deacon's wife, as how I'm going to teach this. One of our favorite guys, Mr. Pastor John MacArthur, teaches this section as the deaconesses. I have not studied enough to be sure where this is, but I want to give you the arguments. These are the arguments. 
They're divided on this. Here's the arguments. Scholars believe since Paul had no requirements for elders' wives, then this must mean women deacons. Because why would he give requirements for the deacons' wives and not the elders' wives? It's legit. These arguments are so, they're, they're really good. Some scholars believe Paul uses the term woman to show the difference between the two. Others believe that it is the deacon's wife because of verse 12. Scholars believe that Paul doesn't use the word deaconess because the word deaconess never was in the Greek. So some of the Greek structures, some of the versions say likewise, which means that Paul is moving to a different group. As we saw in verse 8, deacons likewise. Some versions read, likewise, you know, it says likewise, their wives likewise, meaning a whole separate group. So there's arguments on both sides. So I'm going, well, my, my notes go more towards this way, but we can apply it either way. Whether it's a deaconess or the wife, there's requirements that he puts in here, that God puts in there. Again, we see that the requirement is dignified is dignified. So either the deaconess or the wife must be dignified. They must be honest and serious. They must not be a joker when it comes to serious situation. She needs to be serious. Not a slanderer. Not a slanderer. Or a malicious gossip. Right? They're not to be backstabbers. They're not to be one who falsely accuses someone. They're to be sober-minded they're to be not a drunk, wineless. They're to have clear thinking, whether it is the deaconess or it is the wife. This is how she is to be. She is to be faithful in all things, meaning that she is trustful, she is truthful in all things. R. Kent Hughes writes this in regards to the wife. Indeed, she will be expected to help him fulfill his duties as the deacon. So this section can be used either way on how you interpret the word wife. That is the key thing. It's how you interpret the word wife because the word wife can be interpreted woman also. So it's how you interpret the word wife. The King James Version interprets it wife. The New American Standard Version interprets it woman. So we have different interpretations. So either way, however this is put, if you claim that it's the deacon's wife, well then the deacon's wife has requirements that she must be. Or if you preach this and you teach this as the deaconess, she has requirements likewise. But here comes the argument because in verse 12, here's what verse 12 tells us. Let the deacons each be the husband of one wife. So this is where the arguments come. But this is not for the preaching. This could be for a Sunday school that we can talk through this, examine it more. But anyways, however it goes, there are these requirements for godliness within the deaconess or within the deacon's wife that has to be viewed. We have to see her faithfulness also. So how about the deacon's home? 
It's the same as the elder. He must be the husband of one wife. Does this mean he has to be married? No. Because if we remember last week, husband and one wife means he is a one-woman man. That is what it is. It's a one-woman man. So can a deacon be single? Yes, he can be single. But we have to be sure that he's not a flirt. We have to be sure that his eyes, if he is married, is for his wife only. That he's not trying to be seductive or seducing other women within the church. His eyes are for his wife's only. His affections are for his wife only. He is a one-woman man. He is a faithful man in not only loving his wife and having affections for his wife, but he is a faithful man in managing his household, managing his children. Same thing that we looked at last week, that he has children that are faithful, they're respectable, they're behave right they're not out being rebellious and they're not rioters he's not to have children that way but this comes when the deacon is this faithful man that we look at the deacon that serves well has a reward look at verse look at verse 13 with me he says this, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So the first thing, that when a deacon serves well, he gains a good standing. He has respect of the congregation. He serves the congregation with such faithfulness, such grace, such care, that the congregation has a high view of who he is. He has a good standing with the congregation. The congregation literally looks at their deacon and they see Christ because he imitates Christ so well. He has this good standing. He has great confidence in the faith because his serving of the body and his love for the sheep, and his care for Christ's saints, that he wants to care for them so much, he's in the word. He's in prayer for them. He prays for the people. He cares for the people. And it builds his faith. And he has a greater confidence in his faith. He begins to have a greater confidence in his king, in his Lord. And that confidence overflows to the ones he cares for. He's a very trustful person. Brothers and sisters, a deacon is a very high calling. It is just as high of a calling as an elder or a pastor. When we look in Acts 6, when the deacons first came, the deacons came so that they could serve the widows because they were fighting among who got the food first. Faithful men, right? Faithful men. So why? So that the elders could be free, that they could concentrate on the word of God, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word in prayer. The church operates because it has faithful deacons. The word of God is preached because there's faithful elders. 
But by no means think that a deacon is not a high calling because you also, as a deacon, put Christ on display. It is a high calling, brother. It is a high calling. So value that God has called you to such a high calling. So today, what does it mean for us? All of these things mean for us. It's the same as last week. When we look at all these qualifications, they are for all of us. God is looking for godly leaders, but brothers and sisters, for us, it is a gospel-driven, godly life that we pursue because of what Christ has done for us. We are to be dignified. We are not to be double-tongued. We are to be sober and self-controlled. We are not to be addicted to much wine. We are not to be greedy. We are to cultivate in our lives, as I said before, these very characteristics so that Christ is not only magnified in the elders and in the deacons, but he's magnified in every single believer so that when people walk through this door and they leave, they will see the love of Christ and the light of Christ in all of us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. And we just ask that you now would, Lord, just work in our hearts. Lord, that's what we need. We need you to work in our hearts, Lord. Father, this little congregation, this fellowship of believers that we have here, Lord, that we gather every Sunday, some online, some in person. Father, help us to serve each other well because we know how well loved we are. Help us to love each other well. In your name, amen. Please, let's stand and sing our last song.